0: SECTION 30 OF ANECDOTES OF BIG CATS AND OTHER BEASTS. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY MADISON RUTHERFORD. ANECDOTES OF BIG CATS AND OTHER BEASTS BY DAVID ALEC WILSON THE DEVIL AS A Leopard. IN 1891, In Shweijin, then the headquarters of a district in Burma, but now decayed because the railway went another road, I became aware as I sat in office of an unusual hush in the precincts of the public buildings. My messenger came uncalled into my room and stood, as if struggling to speak, but unable to articulate. My head clerk, the excellent Babu Chowdhury, followed him, though it was an uncommon time for him to come in. With obvious difficulty and hesitation, almost stammering, the Babu said, The devil has come to town. Ah, if I were only a fictioneer, what a brilliant opening this gives for fine writing. It might be indulged in without fear of contradiction, for if Babu Chowdhury read a thing I wrote as an account of our talk, he would not only affirm it to be true, but honestly believe it. All the King's Council in London, cross-examining in partnership, could not shake him, or do anything but make everybody, themselves included, believe him the more. His transparent good faith would convince them. This is not ironical, but the simple truth. If I wrote in the Kipling fashion, keeping faithful to what the Babu could recall, he would trust me for the rest, so that the story might be told in this way. "'The devil has come to town,' said the Babu. "'Show him in.' But he is not here. He's in the town.' Send for him, then. But he won't come, he... Tell the police to fetch him. How? He... You should know perfectly that no warrant is required. He can be arrested without a warrant if he won't come quietly, were it only for being without visible and respectable means of subsistence. Send a note to the superintendent. But it isn't a man. It's a devil and a leopard. A leopard? A leopard, but a devil. Shoot it but it's a devil. Shoot it all the same. But it's a devil, and so the rifles won't go off. Instead of all which, to tell the downright truth, instead of any invention, I looked in silence a while at my excited clerk as he repeated, half mechanically, the devil has come to town, and guessing that perhaps a tiger, which had been flurrying the place for some weeks, had paid a midday visit, I stepped outside to the veranda to see what the matter was, probably telling somebody to go for a rifle. I looked in all directions, but saw no stampeding, such as might be expected if a tiger were strolling anywhere near. There were many marks of general consternation. Everybody seemed to have stopped suddenly whatever he had been doing. The one detail capricious memory supplies is the sight of a man at a refreshment stall, who had paused with a spoonful of food halfway to his lips, and stood as if petrified as long as I saw him, gaping and listening. Next, I noticed the district superintendent of police, Mr. W.G. Snadden, a sensible, first-rate man, coming from his office, which was in the building adjacent to mine. Without waiting to be asked, he shouted to me, Don't you bother. It's only a leopard frightening people at my house, and I'll go and see what the row is and come and let you know. Anybody hurt? I believe not. I felt Babu Chowdhury watching me to see if I was satisfied. He drew a deep breath. "'That'll be all right,' we said to each other, and both returned to work. He came into my room a minute later and said impressively, "'The people do say it must be a devil, as the rifles won't go off.' He waited to see the effect of the announcement, but getting only, "'That'll be all right,' he returned to business. In an hour or so, Snadden reappeared, looking tired with laughing, This was what he had to tell. My wife had a fright yesterday. A leopard had been seen prowling round the house. A servant said it came upon the veranda and stood on its hind legs and looked into the nursery, where the baby was, and also a dog. Mr. Snadden intimated in some way that he had doubted the story. He continued. I told my wife it would prefer dog, but naturally she did not wish it to have a choice so I set her mind at rest by leaving a military policeman with a rifle to hold the fort when I came to office, explaining to him what to do if the leopard returned. It came all right, about the same time as yesterday. They say the cook was in the act of showing the policeman where it issued yesterday from the jungle when they saw it reappear. The man loaded, aimed, and pulled the trigger. The cartridge did not go off. He slipped in another noiselessly and aimed again. There was no hurry. The leopard did not see him. It was standing still, apparently taking a deliberate view of the house and servants' quarters, looking for a dog, I do believe. No man could want an easier target. After aiming carefully, he pulled the trigger, and for the second time, the shot did not go off. This seems to have flustered him, so that he made an audible click as he put in a third cartridge, and the leopard heard it and looked round and saw him and turned to go away. He took aim at it. It turned its head round for a parting glance at him, just as he pulled the trigger again. For the third time, the rifle failed to act. The shot did not go off. The man was left standing, half-distracted. He said that as it disappeared, the leopard swelled to the size of a tiger, and the glare of its eyes as it looked at him made his heart stand still. It could be no common leopard that bewitched his rifle so. Everybody in the house gathered round him to hear his story. That was when my wife sent a man running to me. The policeman half-walked, half-staggered to the lines. The hut where the sepoys lived, near Mr. Snadden's house. And there he was when I went up. They had had a glorious scare. By George, how quickly the panic spread, reflected Mr. Snadden. They were shivering with funk all round the court before the man, who was running from my house, arrived there. I had noticed something was amiss, and was making inquiries to find out what it was before he came. Had the man loitered on the way? No, I think he came straight. The panic round here was not his doing, whatever it was. It came up from the bazaar, I've made sure of that. It seems a miracle. I've been round pacifying the town. The bazaar was upside down, business was stopped, women were shrieking and running after their children a mile away from my house within a few minutes after the leopard disappeared into the bushes. I cannot understand it. Was the beast seen elsewhere? No, the panic was all about what had happened and the rifle not going off. Neither of us knew how the panic spread, though Mr. Snadden had a fine scientific curiosity about it, which made him take much trouble inquiring. He concluded his report on this occasion thus. It did not last long at the lines. The man had hardly told a story more than five times when the Subedar, the principal native officer, pushed his way into the middle of the crowd to hear him and listening to him, took the rifle out of his hands to examine it. He lifted the hammer and pointing to the lever on the nipple, asked him, Did you remove that? The man looked stupefied, shook his head, and relapsed into silence, and the excitement ended. The men were very good about it, laughing only a little and not unkindly. They did not jeer at the poor fellow, but rather pitied him for the accidental oversight that had made him look so foolish and given him such a fright. And made him miss the reward of twenty rupees, more than the month's pay which he would have got for killing the leopard. When the truth was known, it was easy to pacify the town. End of section thirty Recording by Madison Rutherford